Africa rise and shine Africa zola Africa amka na unai Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802 and on www.channelafrica.co.za. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa, Tabisolo Hoho and Figuleli Mwati. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine is Asawa, Nigeria warns against fake COVID vaccines and South African opposition threatens legal action over COVID-19 vaccine. In economics news, SADC region urged to use real-time gross settlement system and in sports news, South African cricketers pleased with security arrangements in Pakistan. But first up the news with Anusa. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Aman Musa, good morning. Reports from Darfur in Sudan say clashes that broke out in the west of the region last week have now spread to the south. Close to 50 people have reportedly died in a new attack by Arab militiamen. The BBC's David Bamford has more. Latest reports say Arab militiamen used trucks, motorbikes and camels in a surprise raid on the village of Sadun in south Darfur. It's inhabited by the non-Arab Falata community. The report comes only a day after more than 80 people were confirmed dead in clashes in West Darfur. Nearly three weeks ago, the United Nations and the African Union ended their long-running joint peacekeeping mission in the region. The recovery rate of COVID-19 cases in South Africa is steadily increasing with 1,117,452 cases recorded so far. This represents a recovery rate of 83%. The health department says there has also been a significant decrease in the number of new infections since the beginning of the month. 9,010 new cases have been reported in the last 24 hours. This brings the cumulative number of COVID-19 cases identified to 1,346,936. The total number of deaths stands at 37,449. Professor Salim Abdul Karim, chairperson of the COVID-19 Ministerial Advisory Committee, says there's evidence that the new variant of the coronavirus in South Africa is 50% more infectious as it binds more readily to human cells. However, there's no evidence that it causes a more severe COVID-19 infection. South Africa is experiencing a second wave of infections fueled by the new variant. Karim explains. These amino acids which have changed which lead to changes in the charge and the shape of the protein, the binding of the virus to the human cell had changed significantly. In particular, the virus and the spike protein now rotates about 20 degrees so that it's able to approach more deeply into the binding site so that its affinity and its ability to bind to the human cell is now stronger. 
Authorities in Mozambique have expressed concern over the increasing number of its staff infected with COVID-19. More than 40 health workers tested positive for the virus over the weekend in the northern province of Nampula alone. More than 133 health professionals have contracted the virus in Nampula since last year with no deaths recorded. Local officials say their major concern is that their health services are understaffed with a poor doctor-to-population ratio. They fear that a rapid spread of the virus among health workers will see capacity collapse. The incoming U.S. administration, led by President-elect Joe Biden, says it will maintain COVID travel restrictions, banning visitors from most of the most of Europe and Brazil. The announcement came shortly after the Trump administration ordered the measures to be lifted from next week. The BBC's David Willis reports. Donald Trump announced he was widening the ban on travelers to the U.S. to include the U.K. and most of Europe last March, at a time when there were just over a thousand confirmed cases of the coronavirus. In the US. The move hit the American aviation industry hard, and airlines are known to have been lobbying the president to lift it. In a proclamation issued less than two days before he's due to leave office, Mr. Trump suddenly announced that he was prepared to do so starting next week, only to be rebuffed by a Biden administration spokeswoman, Jen Psaki, who tweeted that instead of lifting restrictions on international travel, the incoming administration intended to tighten them. And that's the news headlines at 7.30 Central African time. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. On these social media platforms, on Facebook, Channel Africa One, on Twitter, at Channel Africa One, and YouTube on Channel Africa Radio. Our website, www.channelafrica.co.za. Channel Africa, from an African perspective. It's 7.06 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Nigeria's National Agency for Food, Drug and Administration Control has warned against fake coronavirus vaccines in the country where 10 million real doses of the shots are expected to arrive in March. This following reports that there are fake vaccines circulating in Nigeria already. Channel Africa's Collins Atohengbe reports. The rise in the number of infected persons in the country has increased the level of awareness both to prevent the spread and to take care of the affected persons through approved medical processes at designated centers. Climbing into its place of 100,300 in the number of confirmed cases, Nigeria has continued to give assurance to its citizens that vaccines needed to secure people's lives are expected to start turning into the country at the end of January 2021, even though it is not quite certain which brand is expected to reach Abuja's hands first. Why confirming the presence of fake COVID vaccines in the online market? NAVDAC Director General Moji Adeyeye says attention was also given to the development of local herbal products. We now have fake vaccines in the online market. There is no commodity like that that can enter the country without the approval of NAVDAQ. NAVDAQ started an initiative 2019 March. Uh, We 
inaugurated the Harbor Medicine Product Committee that is made up of researchers and uh, Harbor practitioners. Actually, we uh, take for granted uh, vegetables or plants uh, that God has surrounded us with. Many of the plants have uh, flavonoids, antioxidants, trace minerals good for the body. Uh, so there are many things that are natural that if we eat right, they can actually improve our health. The former president of Nigerian Academy of Science, Professor Oyewale Tomori, says there is no definite information to get the citizens ready for the type of vaccines they might be getting despite the much publicized information of the country getting delivery of vaccines at the end of January 2021. I hear the federal government has put 400 billion for to buy vaccine. They don't even know which vaccine they are buying. So how many doses do you know they are going to get? On what are they basing their 400 billion when you don't know which vaccine you are going to get? These are some of the areas where I said we have a problem with planning in this country. People should have known by now that we are likely to get it from this spot. This is the kind of vaccine you are going to get. These are the kind of reactions you get from that vaccine. This is what happens. That information should be made available. The information we are getting on, on the uh, social media is all the contrary information about, about vaccines. And that's what the people hear, and that's what they believe. So where's the success? You are talking of vaccinating 50% of people. Suppose they refuse to come for vaccination. Are you going to read the 50%? The Secretary of the Nigerian Academy of Science and Virologist, Dr. Doi Odubanjo, is concerned that though the pandemic is the face of the COVID infection, there are other things which come along with it, taking the people by storm. For instance, he says fear is one formidable pandemic within a pandemic that needs to be conquered. In his view, a lockdown is an extreme measure which should not be applied often because of associated effects. Um, we have a pandemic which people are focusing on, which is the virus. Uh, but several pandemics come with it. You know, there is the fear. People are scared stiff. So there are all kinds of things that it brings along with it, in so much that it makes it a very complex thing to deal. When we did have the first lockdown, we saw what happened even in Lagos. We saw how people became scared even in their houses, that they might be invaded. Uh, we saw all kinds of things, insecurity, uh, violence, uh, domestic violence on the rise. You know, so there are things that come along with it. So the real question then will be, can you afford can you afford another one? A lockdown is an extreme measure, an unusual measure to use in the control of an epidemic like this, which you don't want to use too often or for too long because of the problems that will come along. One of such problems is the fact that in the midst of reported increases in the infection rate, students have been told to return to classes despite arguments in some quarters that schools should remain shut for some time more. Ani Basi Eyo, a social activist in the UK, says some of the problems in Nigeria will be lack of adequate preparation that could have helped to normalize situation, especially in the rural areas where access to modern facilities are lacking. And when you look at some of the protocols that have been outlined, are these protocols affordable and available in a rural, a low income, and a poorer neighborhood schools. How many children in low neighborhoods even have access to clean water to have their bath first of all, talk less of constantly washing their hands in schools? How many people have access to online learning? Taking a swipe at the general feeling that the vaccine could provide a panacea from the pandemic, 
Professor Tomori says people should not see vaccine as a magic wand that will solve the pandemic. Its place is just to prevent the infections from becoming a disease. Vaccine is not the solution to the problem. If you get a vaccine, you develop immunity. What the vaccination does is prevent your infection becoming disease. As at last count, Nigeria has recorded 110,387 infected persons with 1,435 deaths and a total of 89,317 discharged after treatment. The plan is to have 70% of Nigerians vaccinated by the end of 2022. That is an ambition that has fired the quest to get the vaccines. From Lagos, Nigeria, I am Collins Nosara Tohengbe for Channel Africa News. South Africa's Opposition Democratic Alliance says its lawyers have written to President Sul Ramaphosa to set out the COVID-19 vaccination issues that the party says are not in line with the Constitution. Party leader John Stienhuizen says they are giving the president seven days to respond, and if his response lacks details, they will take the matter to court. Stienhuizen says they want, among other things, disclosure of the budget for the acquisition and rollout of the vaccines. Lula Mamakia reports. The DA is accusing government of dropping the ball on the COVID-19 vaccine, claiming that its priorities are twisted. While South Africa is still waiting to receive the vaccine, other countries, some poorer than South Africa, are already rolling it out. The party wants transparency on the budget of acquiring the vaccine, as well as rolling it out. And if Ramaphosa's government fails to give those details in full, they will go to court. Party leader John Stienhaisen elaborates. The government spent 80% of its time uh, doing things that make very little impact on the virus uh, through its regulations, etc., and have dropped the ball on the, on the 20% of things that could make 80% of the difference and that is on um, proper hospital capacity, testing, tracing and tracking, and the acquisition of the vaccine. And to just juxtapose South Africa's government's position with many, many countries around the rest of the world who have been rolling out the vaccine program since early December because their governments have made a concerted effort to uh, obtain uh, access to those vaccines the moment that they were ready. Uh, We're busy paying catch-up and trying to get scraps off the table of, uh, of the vaccine companies from around the world. Health Minister Dr. Zwilim Kiza says government will shed more light around the acquisition of the vaccine in the coming weeks. We will in the next uh, week or so announce more of the vaccines that uh, would have been able to, uh, to confirm. So at the time when everything is ready, we will come and be transparent to the public. But what I think is important is for us to begin to create an awareness on everybody that there is going to be a very important need to embrace the vaccines. And in embracing the vaccines, we need to now start encouraging all those who are in the priority groups to be moving ahead and getting ready. We need to get uh, all those who are you know, um, uh, health workers to, to be in the forefront. And after that, we'll also make sure that uh, 
the teachers, the police, and uh, you know people who are working in uh, overcrowded settings, who are working closely with communities. Uh, taxi drivers, waiters in hotels and so on, a priority. In another development, the DA says it is strongly opposed to tax hikes muted by Treasury Director General Dondo Mokajane to pay for the vaccination program. It says higher taxes would be a slap in the face of hard-working South Africans and that this proposal is insensitive to the many families which are struggling financially. DA spokesperson on finance, Jordan Hill-Lewis, says taxpayers are already bearing the brand of high taxes. So the idea that we don't have the money for this kind of program and the idea mooted today uh, and over the weekend that we should be raising taxes to pay for this kind of program is, uh, frankly, ludicrous. It's, uh, it's absolutely apt and, and timely that we have written to the president to demand uh, transparency on all of these uh, important questions and that if we do not get that transparency within a reasonable amount of time, that we approach the courts to, to ensure it. Because we are absolutely committed to making sure that every South African who needs one or who wants one gets a vaccine. And that report by Lula Mamadia. Welcome to Change Your Game here on Channel Africa, the African Perspective. We're coming to you from Johannesburg in South Africa. My name is Asanda Peta. What uh, GDF Forum is about and what an opportunity it provides specifically for the audience of Change Your Game. At Change Your Game, we believe entrepreneurs are the key drivers of tomorrow's African innovations and essential to creating a thriving African economy. More support, just like invest more in young creatives and entrepreneurship, but actually do it, don't just talk about it, actually do it, you know, because there are a lot of creative minds, there are a lot of intelligent human beings in our country, so I think they should invest more in that and take it seriously, because it's a real thing. Catch us every Friday at 900 hours Central African time with Channel Africa, the African Perspective. It's 7.18 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa on DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802 and on www.channelafrica.co.za. Some of South Africa's leading scientists say that the 501Y.V2 variant of the coronavirus is not more severe than the first variant but that it is spreading 50% faster. Led by Health Minister Dr. Zuelim Kize in a virtual panel discussion, scientists spoke on how the new variant is impacting South Africa's healthcare system, whether a vaccine would be effective against it, and whether the risk of death was greater in the second wave. On January the 18th, over 9,000 new infections were reported, bringing the total number of COVID-19 cases in South Africa to over 1,346,000 infections. Minoshni Pillay reports. This virus is spreading about 50% faster. And so our second wave is faster than our first wave. And the current data suggests the new variant is not more severe. 
Chairperson of the National Coronavirus Command Council, Professor Salim Abdul Karim, updating South Africans on the new 501Y V2 variant that's heaped an insurmountable amount of pressure on the country's healthcare system. In this new mutation, he says the ability of the virus to bind to the human cell is significantly stronger and that even more mutations are inevitable. Health Minister Dr. William Kiese explains how the second wave is impacting the healthcare system. A strain with hospitalization continued to trend upwards, showing an 18.3% increase on the 16th of January to seven days prior. On 16th of January, nearly 18,000 patients were admitted with 2,472 in ICU, 1,117 on ventilators, 5,850 requiring oxygen. South Africa has registered 37,449 deaths to the virus so far. Data suggests that who is dying and for what reason is consistent with the first wave. Public health medicine specialist in the Western Cape Health Department, Professor Marianne Davies, says the risk of death increases when hospitals are placed under increased pressure. In both waves, about 70 to 80 percent of people who are admitted have comorbidities and uh, nearly 90 percent of those deceased have comorbidities. We've also seen no difference in the age pattern of admitted and deceased patients. There is no difference in the risk of death between the upsurge of wave one and the upsurge of wave two. Both in wave one and wave two, when our hospitals were under severe admission pressure, the risk of death does increase. Dr. Wasila Jassad from the National Institute for Communicable Diseases unpacked the findings of a study that looked at hospital admissions from the start to the peak of the first and second waves at hospitals in three South African districts, the city of Cape Town, Nelson Mandela Bay and Itikwini. Here, two findings point to pattern consistency with the first wave. In weeks with very high levels of admissions, there was increased risk for mortality. 40% higher in Nelson Mandela Metro, 60% higher in Itikwini, and 80% higher in City of Cape Town. There did not appear to be any consistent difference in age between the first and second wave. It does not seem to be that more young people have been admitted or died in the second wave. The scourge of the second wave has had many questioning the efficacy of the vaccine, Both Professor Abdul Karim and leading TB and vaccines expert at the Africa Health Research Institute, Professor Willem Hanekom, says a vaccine is critical to saving lives. Vaccines that we see in the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccines at 95% efficacy are amongst the most effective vaccines that we have for any disease. And they achieve a critically important goal which is they reduce clinical illness and hospitalization. If I could get the vaccine today, I would take the vaccine today. Virologist at the Africa Health Research Institute, Professor Alex Siegel, says that the world has underestimated the virus. Latest research points to concerns that the new 501Y V2 variant can and is evading antibodies made from the first variant. Minoshni Pillay, SABC News, Durban. 
South Africa's Minister of Health, Dr. Zuelim Kizeh, says COVID-19 patients shouldn't wait until they're seriously ill before seeking medical attention. Mkiza was speaking in Durban, where he conducted a tour to community clinics, emergency services, public and private hospitals. KwaZulu-Natal has recorded among the highest infection rates in the country during the second wave of the pandemic. Fanelem Mthong reports. Health Minister Dr. Zoilim Kize has expressed concern that the coronavirus infections in the second wave of the pandemic could surpass the numbers seen during the festive season. The second wave is being fueled by a new variant of the virus, which scientists say is more infectious but does not seem to cause more severe COVID-19 infection. South Africa has so far recorded over 1.3 million infections and just over 37,000 COVID-19-related fatalities. Mkiza says the majority of people who die present themselves too late at health facilities. He encouraged communities to seek medical help at an early stage. And we're also seeing that uh, in some instances there's a bit of reluctance on people to attend a uh, hospital early. So you get a history of someone who might have been sick at home and then two, three days then they pass. I think it's important to say to our people, uh, let's re- re- come to hospital as soon as we get the symptoms so that we can be assessed to see whether there's a need for us uh, to be treated, to be admitted and so on. Sometimes it can be very misleading. You feel a bit weak, you feel a bit tired and you think you are resting. The next time you know it, you've actually got so much shortness of breath that uh, if you can't stand up from your couch to the bathroom or to the bedroom, you must know that uh, it's really quite late. That means your oxygen saturation has dropped significantly. Nkize has also expressed concern that in some areas, people still attend funerals in large numbers. COVID-19 regulations stipulate that not more than 50 people are allowed to attend a funeral. KwaZulu-Natal has been identified as an infection hotspot. Mkize has urged religious and traditional leaders to play a role in regulating the number of people attending funerals. We still get reports of areas where the funerals uh, are still attended by a large number of people. And sometimes uh, when people attend, uh, you know, the families kind of feel, well, what can we do? We must say uh, a lot of people get infected when they come to bury someone and the following week you start seeing more people who are getting infected. So funerals still remain a concern. It's very, very important that uh, families, as painful as it is, and we do understand it, we shouldn't actually start touching the body, going back to wash the body. And if we have to uh, view the body, there's a procedure that must be done with the supervision of those who are you know, trained to do it. However, Nkize says the ban on alcohol sales has assisted in reducing bed occupancy for non-COVID-related admissions. And at this point, we are able to focus on the one crisis that is facing the whole country. And therefore, we want to say that there is actually a huge relief that's come from the suspension of the sale of alcohol because most of those trauma cases are linked to uh, irresponsible consumption of alcohol or irresponsible behavior based on the consumption of alcohol. And hopefully that's going to continue for a while that uh, we, we get this uh, space to be able to manage people who are actually under uh, the, the pressure of COVID-19.
Kiza says he will continue to visit other provinces that experience a high number of infections. I'm Fanele Mshongo in Deben. Whether former South Africa's President Jacob Zuma will ever appear before the Zonda Commission of Inquiry into state capture remains uncertain. Zuma's lawyers say he will no longer be appearing before the state capture inquiry this week. Five days from the 18th to the 22nd of January had been set aside to hear the former president's testimony. Abongile Dumako reports. Former President Jacob Zuma instructed his lawyers to write to the Zondo Commission of Inquiry into state capture, saying the former president cannot appear on Monday. The letter stated that Zuma can only be forced to appear once his legal bid for Zondo's recusal has been decided upon by the Constitutional Court. Last year, Deputy Chief Justice and Chairperson of the State Capture Commission, Raymond Zondo, turned down an application for his recusal brought by former President Jacob Zuma. This is what his lawyer Moses Kakane said they would do moving forward. I'm appealing to your psyche. I'm appealing to your honesty about your own errors. It's law because we look at how to tighten claims of bias that are raised by lawyers and litigants simply to disqualify a judge. And so it's important that we, we make that balance. And because it's not made clear. So bias is a state of mind. But what are we to do when we ask a judge to recuse themselves because we have a reasonable apprehension of bias? However, it's not the first time the former president has failed to appear before Zondo. Between the 21st and the 25th of September last year, Zuma was a no-show, leading to his appearance to be moved to November, which saw him claim that Zondo is biased against him. But a legal expert, Ulrich Leroux, says the former president can only be forced to appear once his legal bid to get the chairperson of the inquiry recused has been decided. Uh, I cannot see any reason as to how he can be compelled or how a potential warrant for his arrest could be issued, forcing him to testify before the commission prior to there being certainty pertaining to these two issues. One being the fact that the Constitutional Court must first rule on the validity of the summons, which uh, seeks to bring Mr. Zuma before the commission of inquiry. And then secondly, if his attorneys intend to bring a review application uh, pertaining to the decision of uh, Deputy Chief Justice Zondo not to recuse himself, then that review application must first be finalised before Jacob Zuma can be compelled to testify before the court. Meanwhile, with two months left before the Commission concludes its work, Zondo has announced that the Commission will approach the High Court for a three-month extension. I'm Abongile Tumago in Johannesburg. It's 7.30 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Our headlines up next with Anne Musa. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. 
A man was a good morning in the headlines. Rwanda has locked down its capital Gigali as it battles a second wave of coronavirus cases that has resulted in unprecedented deaths and transmission rates. The recovery rate of COVID-19 cases in South Africa is steadily increasing with 1,117,452 cases recorded so far. And reports from Darfur in Sudan say clashes that broke out in the west of the region last week have now spread to the south. Close to 50 people have reportedly died in a new attack by Arab militiamen. Those are the stories making headlines. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Thank you. And South Africa's opposition economic freedom fighters is pushing forward with its agenda for the postponement of this year's local government election and the emerging with the general election of 2024. The party says it has begun a process of engaging all political parties on its stance. And although some are unconvinced, it may just have the heavyweight support it needs to push the matter through. Busi Chimombe reports. The EFF says local government elections scheduled for later this year should be postponed until 2024 as they can become a super-spreader event. Party leader Julius Malema says outside the dangers presented by the COVID-19 pandemic, it does make sense that the country hold local, provincial and national elections at the same time. South Africa lacks the technical capacity and moral integrity to attempt to run an election in any other way besides direct voting through ballot. And the only sensible way to do this without risking life and undermining democracy is through the merging of all elections into 2024. The official opposition does not buy it. DA head of policy Gwen Nguenya says that COVID-19 is not a valid excuse to postpone elections as polls have been carried out successfully in other countries during the pandemic. She additionally says integrating polls for the three levels of government would rob citizens of their constitutional rights. Regular elections are critical to ensuring that public representatives are accountable to the people that they that elect them. South Africans need to express themselves. They need to be able to vote at a government that does not work for them through the ballot box. And so for as long as the IEC can guarantee that, that there will be free and fair elections for each and every South African, we will support that these elections proceed as the IEC's own projected timelines. The IFP's approach is that it is open to this year's elections being postponed, but rejects the merging of the country's elections in the future. Party spokesperson Mkule Kohlengwa. Local government elections and national and provincial elections are uniquely different insofar as content, context and character is concerned. And the issues which are characterizing these two elections cannot be conflated. However, the IFP is not adverse to the postponement of the local government elections. To the IEC, working with political parties in the National Liaison Committee, must be able to make practical solutions insofar as how this postponement would work and to create an environment which is conducive and adaptive to the realities that we currently face. The Freedom Front Plus's Peter Grunefeld says his party 
is ready for elections in 2011 and rejects any postponement. There are many councils who are under administration. That is not the will of the people. That is not democracy. The poor governance of ANC councils is further justification that we must have an election where people can elect new councillors and new governance for local government. However, the protestations of the smaller parties may be insignificant, given that the ANC's National Executive Committee agrees with the EFF, at least in terms of synchronizing the three elections. The advantages of this, amongst others, according to the governing party, would be the saving of costs to run polls and unbroken governance systems. Constitutional Court expert Pierre de Foss says getting the electoral system changed will not be easy and may not be desirable. To change the local government election date and push it back will require a constitutional amendment because the constitution says that a municipal council cannot serve for longer than five years before a new election. The fact that there are different election dates for local government and provincial and national government, the argument for that is that it is better for democracy at local level because if there's a local government election, people will then vote for local issues. Um, But if all the elections are at the same time, the argument is people are going to vote for national issues and so the things that really affect us most closely, people are actually not going to consider that too strongly. With the ANC and the EFF together constituting over two-thirds of the seats in Parliament currently, the pushing back of the local elections and complete transformation of the country's electoral terrain may just be a matter of time. That report by Busi Chumombe. The inquiry into media ethics and credibility has released its report into the findings of the ethical challenges facing the industry in South Africa. The commission, led by retired judge Kathleen Satchwell and commissioned by the South African Editors Forum, was prompted by the apologies made by the Sunday Times for its rogue unit, Kato Manor and Zimbabwe rendition stories in 2019. The report made a total of 69 recommendations. Zolega Kotashe reports. The inquiry into media ethics and credibility has recommended that the Sunday Times issue an apology to everyone incorrectly affected by its Cato Manor, SARS Road Unit and rendition stories. This is one of the 69 recommendations made in the report released yesterday by the Commission. The Commission, established in 2019, and shared by retired judge Kathleen Satchwell, was prompted by the apologies made by the weekly paper for the articles. Panelist Nigiwe Bigija highlights some of the recommendations. We recommend that SANF should collaborate with other media entities, media houses, as well as media practitioners and those within the human rights organizations to consciously and consistently publicize the importance of an independent, diverse and vital media industry and resist any discourse that undermines the status and independence of the media. We call on SANF to promote the knowledge of and training in and use of all South African languages by media practitioners 
on all platforms. We further say that uh, SANF should reopen consideration of sanctions or fines or suspension from media organizations for journalists who commit ethical breaches. The Sunday Times is, is being called upon to issue a full and unreserved apology to those persons incorrectly implicated in any wrongdoing in any of the rendition, Cato Manor or SARS series of stories in which the paper acknowledges that they failed in the most basic tenets of journalistic practice. Some of the submissions received were the media's lack of use of African languages and editorial interference, amongst others. Judge Kathleen Satchwell says the number of people that requested to stay anonymous during the submissions is a cause for concern. We have examined as broadly as we could the very many issues and the context within which the media operates in South Africa, its structure at the moment and the challenges facing the media generally and particularly credibility. It is of some concern and it will be apparent when you have a look at the report, the number of persons who requested anonymity when they approached us. And that accounts for a number of anonymous persons. It also accounts for some non-specificity in the complaints which have been made. And I think we must note that this is indicative of the vulnerability felt by certain media practitioners. The South African Editors Forum, SANEF, has welcomed the report. Chairperson Sbunga says the inquiry was important given the challenges faced by the industry in the country. As the South African National Editors Forum, we welcome the report as is. Also, it will form part of our plan of action um, for the year ahead. The reason why we felt this, um, this uh, inquiry to be, to be important, in fact, why it was important for us to set up this inquiry, is that we understood the danger that is faced, um, that we face as the media in South Africa. The Sunday Times has also welcomed the conclusion of the independent inquiry and says it will study the report further. I'm Zolega Kotashim in Johannesburg. A political party led by Tamil movie star promises to pay wages to housewives if voted to power this summer. Actor Kamal Hassan's poll campaign got a leg up from none other than India's highest court, which recently observed national income for homemakers could clear the way for social equality and dignity. Rana Sen reports from New Delhi. The Tamil Film Actors Regional Party hopes to win over Roman before the crucial state elections in May and his political colleague C.K. Kumaravel argued charity has to begin at home. Our leader Kamal Hassan has always seen his mother doing all the work for the entire family and the work is seldom recognized. Charity begins at home. It is there he saw a phenomenal kind of work what the women and the house are doing and this work is not recognized. He always been preaching that if this is going to be the GDP, if this is going to be the measure, this is going to be the biggest. Out of 16 prime ministers, only one was a woman. Out of 15 presidents, only one was a woman. Women are called the minority in this. Kamala Hassan's intentions may be lofty, but his proposals could burn fingers. Social researcher Arpan Tursia told NDTV as the ticklish subject ignited a debate. They have politicized the invisible domestic and care work. Furthered also the discourse that women shoulder a disproportionate 
bit burden of it but our strategy should be in making the household chores more participatory instead of paying salary for housework because i feel that making it into a wage thing will make it more exploitative for women and mm. it will also keep them away from realizing their full potential we must recognize housework as work we must measure it and we must put an economic value to it in the national accounts and statistics policy makers and activists such as namita bhandari also worry wages paid to housewives might end up confining even more women to domestic chores a salary then brings in an entitlement what are we fighting we are fighting the concept and the definition of what is women's work child nurturing is women's work uh, looking after the, the cattle uh, you know in, in rural india looking after the elderly and the sick is women's work so if we are fighting what is women's work surely then accepting a salary for this women's work is in a way legitimizing what is women's work what you need is a change in perception the supreme court's observation was hailed by all but then there was a need to take a close look at what women do at home when the men are away i don't particularly think we're ever challenged about paying men and compensating them for anything but the fundamental premise of what makes us uncomfortable is we think that women owe this to the society think this is what she should be doing so the mantra of really recognizing unpaid care work is to recognize reward reduce and redistribute so far only talking about recognizing and we're only halfway through that conversation but it's very important to reward that work it's very important to reduce that work and redistribute the work that was nishita satyam from un women an entity dedicated toward gender equality that report by rana sen our economic update up next with tabisolu hoko A very good morning. Namibia has failed to trade with other African countries to the same extent as it does with South Africa, Botswana and Zambia. For the past 5 years there has been limited trade within the continent which leaves much to be explored. In an analysis of the Namibia Statistics Agency it shows that in 2015 The country has however traded with more than 10 different non-African countries on the same level in terms of exports. Since 2015 only two African countries South Africa and Botswana have been among the regular top 5 export destinations for Namibia with the addition of Zambia. South Africa, Botswana and Zambia dominate the top 5 African trading partners while various non-African countries continue trading places among the top 5 positions The Kenya Airport Authority has migrated flight operations affecting 13 airlines at Jomo Kenyatta International Airport The changes have been affected by 12 month renovation exercise at the airport affecting terminals 1B and 1C The airlines affected include Lufthansa, German Airlines, Qatar Airways, Ethiopian Airlines, Rwanda Air, Air Mozambique, Air Arabia, Turkish Airlines, Egypt Air, Air India, Uganda Airlines, British Airways, Emirates and UNHAS.
Namibia's Ministry of Labor, Industrial Relations and Employment Creation seems to be taking a laid-back stance on the ongoing shop right strikes, putting its faith in conciliation. According to a statement released about the ministry's executive director, Bro Matthew Shingauja, says that the ministry will intervene only if either shoprite employees or managers seek advice. According to the ministry, Emanikano will mediate between the South African retail giant's workers and its management. The Bank of Zambia has implored businesses and individuals in the Southern African Development Community to embrace transacting using the regional body's real-time gross settlement system in a quest to save currency conversion costs. SEDEC-RTGS is an automated interbank settlement system which settles payment obligations between participating banks. The system has been in operation in Zambia since September 2014. South Africa's power utility, ESCOM, says it expects another two power generation units to return to service, while emergency reserves have also adequately recovered. The power utility suspended load shedding at 11 p.m. last night to Central African time. It has been implementing stage two load shedding since last Thursday. Spokesperson Sikonati Manjaja. Over the past 24 hours, ESCOM teams have successfully returned two generation units each at Kusile, Krill, and one at Tutuka power stations to service. Another two generation units are expected to return to service tomorrow, while emergency generation reserves have also adequately recovered. While the supply situation has improved at this point, ESCOM would like to request the public to continue using electricity sparingly as the system is vulnerable and unpredictable. The US dollar is trading at 385.60 Nigerian Nara. 1093 Botswana Pula, 109.11 Kenyan Shilling, 2131 Zambian Kwacha. In BRICS currencies in Brazil, one US dollar is a trading at 5 rule 28. Russia, 73 rubles 95. India, 73 rupees 21. In China, dollars changing hands at 61.48. And in South Africa, it's a trading at 15 rand 23. The US dollar is also trading at 73 pence to the British pound and 82 cents to euro. Looking at commodities markets now, gold is trading at $1,837 and platinum $1,095 for dollars per ounce while brand crude oil is at $55.05 a barrel. It's Africa Rise and Shine. I'm Tabiso Lahoko. Thank you, Tabiso. Our sports update up next with Figile Lingwati. First up in our sports update, we begin with uh, golf news. Excitement is building as South Africa's top amateur talents gear up for the annual South African Swing, 
which tees off in February, the Glendower Golf Club in South Africa's Gauteng province. Leading the way is the country's top-ranked pair, Casey Jarvis and Caitlin McNabb. Jarvis grabbed international headlines in 2020 when he became the youngest winner of the South African stroke play and just the seventh amateur to achieve the rare double with his victory in the South African Amateur Championship a week later. In December, the 17-year-old golf South Africa's national squad member cemented his credentials as one of the game's future stars when he won the Freddie Tide Cup as the leading amateur in the South African Open at Sun City. And in rugby news, the South African rugby season draws to an end in two weeks, with the final of the Culling Curry Cup set to be played on the 30th of January. That final will be decided following results from the semi-finals between the Bulls, who will host the Lions in Pretoria on Saturday, and the second playoff match between Western Province and the Sea Sharks later that afternoon. Addressing the media, Springbok coach Drasi Rasmus looked back at what he calls the most trying season in rugby's history, both on and off the field, due to the COVID-19 pandemic. And the challenge of already planning ahead of next season Pro 16 rugby competition. At the peak, there was it was almost uh, 20%, which is close to 10 players per team of all seven teams. You know, so you can do the math. That that was the positive rate average, uh, and you can think the knock-on effect, especially when there's coaches out and those kind of things. So a very valid question about Pro 16. The answer I don't have, uh, uh, and it's purely because. We don't have it. Uh, you know, uh, we, we, we want to play it. We, we feel we need to play it. We are looking at different scenarios and trying to make it work. I'm on that committee, not, not committee, I'm on that uh, working group where we talk with them on, on fixtures and how we're going to make it work. Besides the trials and tribulations brought on by COVID-19, both on and off the field, Bok coach Rasi Rasmus is looking forward to the new rugby season, especially with the coming eight-match tour of the British and Irish Lions, penned down to begin in July. And the frustration is unbelievable uh, for us. In terms, but, but I mean, we can't compare this to people who don't have jobs, with people who died and, and you know, nurses who work and help people. So when I say the frustration is high, I say this is all the respect to everybody that are much worse off than us. But, you know, we, we wanted to go play the rugby championships, but there's certain things that we couldn't do just because it wasn't possible. We wanted to play Scotland. We wanted to play the end of year tour. And we want to play now the British and Irish Lions. And it's tough to uh, players with a little bit of hope. And some players who would have retired start asking questions. And in short, well, not in short, I talk long. In long, that's why it's so important for us to make that British and Irish Lions work. The chairperson of the Nigeria Women Football League, Aisha Falode, at the weekend announced an additional one-month postponement of the Nigeria Women Football League season in a frantic bid to ensure strict compliance with COVID-19 preventive protocols that were established before the league started on the 9th of December 2020. Channel Africa's Tony Ubani reports. Falode said from from her base in Lagos that the irregularities and discoveries made during the one-week postponement of the Week 5 matches to allow clubs carry out a COVID-19 test for all their players and officials led to the decision. She disclosed that feedback from one-week suspension to allow for COVID-19 retesting by clubs exposed flaws in complying with the NWFL directives. After due consultations, it has been agreed that a further one-month period should be given to allow for due diligence by all the clubs and stakeholders for strict compliance. 
And finally, the Davis Cup finals will be expanded to an 11-day event and could in future be staged in three different cities. The first edition was a week-long event, but this year's finals will take place over 11 days between the 25th of November and the 5th of December. And the 18th teams involved will be reduced to 16 in time for the 2022 competition. A decision about whether to introduce three host cities will be taken by the ITF by March. A bidding process is already underway with COVID-19 contingency plans, an important element for this year. That's the Sport News this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorba. Africa, Amuka na Unai. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producer Pumutora Magadza, technical producer Wiseman Mangele, and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at infochannelafrica.co.za or tweet us at Rise Shine Africa. Our taking us to the top of our for the news is Techno with a song titled Your Love. Goodbye and keep safe. Unbelievable. 
Girl, you didn't make me crazy Say, what you gonna do like this? What you gonna do, girl, dream for Give it, give it to me Say, you want like this? Say, you the not do this I don't go play with your love, I don't go do you like that, Baby, I know how I start, uh uh-huh. uh-huh. Forever I go there by your side, I'm a kaka, ooh, ah. Chop my money, oh, uh-huh. I know go do you, jukba, oh, yeah. You they turn me my radio, oh, no. I say I'm a kaka, ooh, uh-huh. Chop all of my money, oh, uh-huh. And you put down snow, be jukba, oh, Baby, girl, see you try for me, oh, Try for me, oh, Say that you do be something, oh, to me, oh. Girl, I know, I know. Yeah, you do be something when nobody do me, oh. Yeah, you do be something when nobody do me, oh. Yeah, you do be something when nobody do me, oh. Yeah, you do be something when nobody do me, oh. Yeah, you do be something when nobody do me, oh. Yeah, you do be something when nobody do me, oh. Yeah, you do be something when nobody do me, oh. Yeah, you do be something when nobody do me, oh